Good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice J, and this is a show where we get you ready for a great night's sleep with some old familiar stories that you haven't heard in a while. Links to every story can be found in the show notes at our website, bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight we continue our story, A Curious Experience, by Mark Twain. So I had myself called at two in the morning, and pretty soon after, I was in the musician's quarter, crawling along the floor on my stomach among the snorers. I reached my slumbering waif's bunk at last without disturbing anybody, captured his clothes and kit, and crawled stealthily back again. When I got to my own quarters, I found Webb there, waiting and eager to know the result. We made search immediately. The clothes were a disappointment. In the pockets we found blank paper and a pencil. Nothing else. Just a jackknife and such odds and ends and useless trifles as boys hoard in value. We turned to the kit, hopefully. Nothing in there but a rebuke for us. A little Bible with this written on the flyleaf. Stranger, be kind to my boy, for his mother's sake. I looked at Webb. He dropped his eyes, he looked at me. I dropped mine, neither spoke. I put the book reverently back in its place. Presently, Webb got up and went away without remark. After a little, I nerved myself up to my unpalatable job and took the plunder back to where it belonged, crawling on my stomach as before. It seemed the peculiarly appropriate attitude for the business I was in. I was most honestly glad when it was over and done with. About noon next day, Rayburn came as usual to report. I cut him short. I said, let this nonsense be dropped. We are making a bugaboo out of a poor little cub who has got no more harm in him than a hymn book. The sergeant looked surprised and said, well, you know it was your order, sir, and I've got some of the writing. And what does it amount to? How did you get it? I peeped through the keyhole and see him writing, so when I judged he was about done, I made a sort of little cough, and I see him crumple it up and throw it in the fire and look all around to see if anybody was coming. Then he settled back as comfortable and careless as anything. Then I comes in and passes the time of day pleasantly and sends him off an errand. He never looked uneasy, but went right along It was a coal fire and new built. The writing had gone over behind a chunk out of sight, but I got it out. There it is. It ain't hardly scorched, you see. I glanced at the paper and took in a sentence or two. Then I dismissed the sergeant and told him to send Webb to me. Here is the paper in full. Fort Trumbull, the 8th. Colonel. I was mistaken as to the caliber of the three guns I ended my list with. They are eighteen-pounders. All the rest of the armament is as I stated. The garrison remains as before reported, except that the two light infantry companies that were to be detached for service at the front are to stay here for the present. Can't find out for how long, just now, but will soon. We are satisfied that, all things considered, matters had better be postponed on... There it broke off. There is where Rayburn coughed and interrupted the writer. All my affection for the boy, all my respect for him, and charity for his forlorn condition, 
withered in a moment under the blight of this revelation of cold-blooded baseness. But never mind about that. Here was business. Business that required profound and immediate attention, too. Webb and I turned the subject over and over and examined it all around. Webb said, What a pity he was interrupted. Something is going to be postponed until when? And what is the something? Possibly he would have mentioned it, the pious little reptile. Yes, I said. We've missed a trick. And who is we in this letter? Is it conspirators inside the fort or outside? That we was uncomfortably suggestive. However, it was not worthwhile to be guessing around that, so we proceeded to matters more practical. In the first place, we decided to double the sentries and keep the strictest possible watch. Next, we thought of calling Wicklow in and making him divulge everything. But that did not seem wisest until other methods failed. We must have some more of the writings, so we began to on that end. And now we had an idea. Wicklow never went to the post office. Perhaps the deserted stable was his post office. We sent for my confidential clerk, a young German named Stern, who was a sort of natural detective, and told him all about the case and ordered him to get to work on it. Within the hour, we got word that Wicklow was writing again. Shortly afterward, word came that he had asked leave to go out into the town. He was detained a while, and meantime Stern hurried off and concealed himself in the stable. By and by he saw Winklow saunter in, look about him, then hide something under some rubbish in a corner, and take leisurely leave again. Stern pounced upon the hidden article, a letter, and brought it to us. It had no superscription and no signature. It repeated what we had already read, and then went on to say, We think it best to postpone till the two companies are gone. I mean the four inside think so, have not communicated with the others, afraid of attracting attention. I say four because we have lost two. They had hardly enlisted and got inside when they were shipped off to the front. It will be absolutely necessary to have two in their places. The two that went were the brothers from Thirty Mile Point, I have something of the greatest importance to reveal, but must not trust it to this method of communication. We'll try the other. The little scoundrel, said Webb. Who could have supposed he was a spy? However, never mind about that. Let us add up our particulars, such as they are, and see how the case stands to date. First, we've got a rebel spy in our midst, whom we know. Secondly... We've got three more in our midst whom we don't know. Thirdly, these spies have been introduced among us through the simple and easy process of enlisting as soldiers in the Union Army, and evidently two of them have got sold at it and have been shipped off to the front. Fourthly, there are assistant spies outside, number indefinite. Fifthly, Wicklow has very important matter which he is afraid to communicate by the present method. We'll try the other. That is the case as it now stands. Shall we call her Wicklow and make him confess? Or shall we catch the person who removes the letters from the stable and make him tell? Or shall we keep still and find out more? We decided upon the last course. We judged that we did not need to proceed to summary measures now, 
since it was evident that the conspirators were likely to wait till those two light infantry companies were out of the way. We fortified Stern with pretty ample powers and told him to use his best endeavors to find out Wicklow's other method of communication. We meant to play a bold game, and to this end we proposed to keep the spies in an unsuspecting state as long as possible. So we ordered Stern to return to the stable immediately, and if he found the coast clear, to conceal Wicklow's letter where it was before and leave it there for the conspirators to get. The night closed down without further event. It was cold and dark and sleety, with a raw wind blowing, till I turned out of my warm bed several times during the night and went the rounds in person, to see that all was right and that every sentry was on the alert. I always found them wide awake and watchful. Evidently whispers of mysterious dangers had been floating about, and the doubling of the guards had been a kind of endorsement of those rumors. Once, toward morning, I encountered Webb, breasting his way against a bitter wind, and learned then that he, also, had been the round several times to see that all was going right. Next day's events hurried things up somewhat. Wicklow wrote another letter. Stern preceded him to the stable and saw him deposit it, captured it as soon as Wicklow was out of the way, then slipped out and followed the little spy at a distance, with a detective in plain clothes at his own heels, for we thought it judicious to have the law's assistance handy in case of need. Wicklow went to the railway station and waited around till the train from New York came in, then stood scanning the faces of the crowd as they poured out of the cars. Presently an aged gentleman, with green goggles and a cane, came limping along, stopped in Wicklow's neighborhood, and began to look about him expectantly. In an instant, Wicklow darted forward, thrust an envelope in his hand, then glided away and disappeared in the throng. The next instant, Stern had snatched a letter, and as he hurried past the gentleman, he said, Follow the old gentleman, don't lose sight of him. Then Stern scurried out with the crowd and came straight to the fort. We sat with closed doors and instructed the guard outside to allow no interruption. First we opened the letter captured at the stable. It read as follows. Holy Alliance Found in the usual gun Commands from the Master Left there last night which set aside the instructions heretofore received from the subordinate quarter. Have left in the gun the usual indication that the commands reached the proper hand Webb interrupting. Isn't the boy under constant surveillance now? I said yes. He had been under strict surveillance ever since the capturing of his former letter. Then how could he put anything into a gun or take anything out of it and not get caught? Well, I said, I don't like the look of that very well. I don't either, said Webb. It simply means that there are conspirators among the very sentinels. Without their connivance in some way or other, thing couldn't have been done. I sent for Rayburn and ordered him to examine the batteries and see what he could find. The reading of the letter was then resumed. The new commands are peremptory and require that the MMMM shall be FFFF at three o'clock tomorrow morning. Two hundred will arrive in small parties by train and otherwise from various directions and will be at appointed time at right time. I would distribute the sign today. Success is apparently sure, though something must have got out, for the sentries have been doubled, and the chiefs went the rounds last night several times. 
WW comes from Southerly today and will receive secret orders by the other method. All six of you must be in 166 at sharp 2 a.m. You will find BB there who will give you detailed instructions. Password same as last time, only reversed. Put first syllable last and last syllable first. Remember XXXX. Do not forget. Be of good heart. Before the next sun rises, you will be heroes. Your frame will be permanent. You will have added a deathless page to history. Thunder and Mars, said Whip. But we are getting into mighty hot quarters as I look at it. I said there was no question, but that things were beginning to wear a most serious aspect. Said I, A desperate enterprise is on foot, that is plain enough. Tonight is the time set for it. That also is plain. The exact nature of the enterprise, I mean the manner of it, is hidden away under those blind bunches of M's and F's. But the end and name, I judge, is the surprise and capture of the post. We must move quick and sharp now. I think nothing can be gained by continuing our clandestine policy as regards Wicklow. We must know, and as soon as possible, too, where 166 is located, so that we can make a descent upon the gang there at 2 a.m., and doubtless the quickest way to get that information will be to force it out of that boy. But first of all, and before we make any important move, I must lay the facts before the War Department and ask for plenary powers. The dispatch was prepared in cipher to go over the wires. I read it, approved it, and sent it along. We presently finished discussing the letter which was under consideration, and then opened the one which had been snatched from the lame gentleman. It contained nothing but a couple of perfectly blank sheets of notepaper. It was a chilly check to our hot eagerness and expectancy. We felt as blank as the paper, and for a moment, twice as foolish. But it was for a moment only, for, of course, we immediately afterward thought of sympathetic ink. We held the paper close to the fire and watched for the characters to come out, under the influence of the heat, but nothing appeared but some faint tracings, which we could make nothing of. We then called in the surgeon and sent him off with orders to apply every test he was acquainted with till he got the right one, and report the contents of the letter to me the instant he brought them to the surface. This check was a confounded annoyance, and we naturally chafed under the delay, for we had fully expected to get out of that letter some of the most important secrets of the plot. Now appeared Sergeant Rayburn and drew from his pocket a piece of twine string about a foot long, with three knots in it, and held it up. I got it out of the gun on the waterfront, said he. I took the Tompions out of all the guns and examined it close. The string was the only thing that was in any gun. So this bit of string was Wicklow's sign to signify that the master's commands had not miscarried. I ordered that every sentinel who had served near that gun during the past 24 hours be put in confinement at once and separately and not allowed to communicate with anyone without my privity and consent. A telegram now came from the Secretary of War. It read as follows. Suspend habeas corpus. Put town under martial law. Make necessary arrests. Act with vigor and promptness. Keep the department informed. We were now in shape to get to work. I sent out and had the lame gentleman quietly arrested, and as quietly brought into the fort. I placed him under guard and forbade speech to him or from him. He was inclined to bluster at first, but he soon dropped all that. 
Next came word that Wicklow had been seen to give something to a couple of our new recruits, and that as soon as his back was turned, these had been seized and confined. Upon each was found a small bit of paper, bearing these words and signs in pencil. Eagles, bird, flight. Remember, XXXX, one, six, six. In accordance with instructions I telegraphed to the department in cipher, the progress made, and also described the above ticket. We seem to be in strong enough position now to venture to throw off the mask as regarded Wicklow, so I sent for him. I also sent for and received back the letter written in sympathetic ink, the surgeon accompanying it with the information that thus far it had resisted his tests, but that there were others he could apply when I should be ready for him to do so. Presently Wicklow entered. He had a somewhat worn and anxious look, but he was composed and easy, and if he suspected anything it did not appear in his face or manner. I allowed him to stand there a moment or two, then I said pleasantly, "'My boy, why do you go to that old stable so much?' He answered with simple demeanor and without embarrassment. "'I hardly know, sir. There isn't any particular reason.' except that I like to be alone, and I amuse myself there. You amuse yourself there, do you? Yes, sir, he replied, as innocently and simply as before. Is that all you do there? Yes, sir, he said, looking up with childlike wonderment in his big, soft eyes. You are sure? Yes, sir, sure. After a pause, I said, Wicklow, why do you write so much? I? I do not write much, sir. You don't? No, sir. Oh, if you mean scribbling, I do scribble some for amusement. What do you do with your scribblings? Nothing, sir. Throw them away. Never send them to anybody? No, sir. I suddenly thrust before him the letter to the colonel. He started slightly, but immediately composed himself. A slight tinge spread itself over his cheek. How came you to send this piece of scribbling, then? I never... I never meant any harm, sir. Never meant any harm? You betray the armament and condition of the post and mean no harm by it. He hung his head and was silent. Come, speak up and stop lying. Whom was this letter intended for? He showed signs of distress now, but quickly collected himself and replied in a tone of deep earnestness, I will tell you the truth, sir, the whole truth. The letter was never intended for anybody at all. I wrote it only to amuse myself. I see the error and foolishness of it now, but it is the only offense, sir, upon my honor. Ah, I am glad of that. It is dangerous to be writing such letters. I hope you are sure this is the only one you wrote. Yes, sir, perfectly sure. His hardihood was stupefying. He told that lie with as sincere a countenance as any creature ever wore. I waited a moment to soothe down my rising temper and then said, Wicklow, jog your memory now and see if you can help me with two or three little matters which I wish to inquire about. I will do my very best, sir. We'll return with our story on our next episode. 
I want to remind you that we're always on the lookout for great public domain stories like this one to feature on the show. If you know of any, please let me know. BigVoiceJ at gmail.com We're also on YouTube. Tiny.cc slash Bedtime. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>